the hunt has begun for other habitable planets. The first images from the James Webb Space Telescope have been released. They offer the most detailed and comprehensive view of the solar system we've ever seen. How will that change our understanding of the universe? I'm Bernard Smith, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. And let's bring in our guests. In London, we have Francisco Diego. He's a senior research fellow at University College London's Physics and Astronomy Department. In Baltimore, Amaya Moro-Martin is an astronomer at the Space Telescope Science Institute and one of the scientists who selected the images we've just seen. And in Boston, Avi Loeb is a theoretical physicist and professor of science at Harvard University. Welcome to you all. Thank you very much for joining us. First of all, Francisco, we had a little bit of an introduction there about uh, what James Webb is designed to do. Tell us more about why... It's often described as a, a time machine, isn't it, Francisco? Well, it is a time machine. In fact, everything is a time machine because of the speed of light. We are always looking at the past. I can see the screen in front of me as it was probably a couple of nanoseconds ago. So, and, this, and the moon one second ago, and the sun eight minutes ago, etc., etc. But uh, looking deep, deep into space... We are talking not hours, not days, not uh, years, but uh, not even millions. We are talking thousands of millions of years in the past when the light from these distant objects that we see, especially in the first image that was released, left uh, some of those objects more than 13,000 million years ago. So it is fascinating that we are looking at a time machine okay. in the past, of course. All right. We'll go through the images specifically in, in a moment. But, uh, Amaya, why is this a game changer. I think it's a game changer because it uh, is uh, it represents uh, what is the capability of this marvelous piece of engineering that James Webb is, right? And uh, we selected images that represent a broad range range of sciences that corresponds to the four pillars uh, that uh, in, sci in in astronomy that James Webb wanted to address from the a very early universe to, you know, studies of exoplanets and planets in our own solar systems. And uh, it's uh, what we are seeing in these images and in this spectra is a, a, a promise, is the hope that we will be able to address many of the uh, hot topics that are hunting uh, uh, us. Uh, uh, since, uh, you know, we have a conscious of who we are, like, are we alone in the universe? How did it all started? OK, well, it's, it's not often, I have to say, we have three guests who are beaming from the start of the show with, en with enthusiasm at what's, uh, what's happening. Avi, um, how close are we getting, then, to the origins of our universe with this telescope? Well, we think that the first stars formed around 100 million years after the Big Bang. Before that, the universe didn't have much structure in it, uh, and uh, we can look back in time and figure out our cosmic roots. Uh, uh, there are questions about where we came from uh, already in the first chapter of the Old Testament. Uh, let there be light. And in fact, with the Webb telescope, we could find the first light from the first galaxies, the first stars. And of course, the second fundamental question is when was life created in the universe and how abundant it is uh, around us? And again, the Webb telescope can look at exoplanets, uh, can look at the nurseries of those planets, and to inform us about the, the likelihood of finding life out there. And Avi, just uh, technically, 
It's relying on ultraviolet light. Let us understand why that's why it's relying on ultraviolet light. Well, actually, it focuses on infrared, which is uh, yes. uh, not visible to the human eye. But um, stars, like the sun, they emit visible light. That's why we, close to that star, have eyes that are sensitive to visible light. However, as a result of the expansion of the universe, this light, the wavelength of the light gets stretched by the cosmic expansion by a factor of 10 to maybe 50 for the earliest stars. And uh, as a result, uh, the, the wavelength goes into the infrared band, and that's where the Webb telescope operates. I was on the first uh, advisory committee that designed this telescope, and the goal was to be sensitive to the light coming from the first stars. And uh, the first stars are quite different than the sun. Uh, they were more massive. They emitted primarily ultraviolet light. Okay, and uh, Francisco, I just wanted to ask you before we look at the photographs that NearCam that took these images it uses something called coronography. Just help us understand what that is. Uh, well, no, these images don't don't uh, they're not using the coronography. The coronograph is an instrument that simulates a solar eclipse or a, or a stellar eclipse because when you have a solar eclipse, you, you can see the corona, which is the outer part of the of the atmosphere of the sun. So, um, uh, describing an, an instrument, designing an instrument that is able to do that optically, you can block the light of a star and produce a kind of artificial uh, star eclipse, if you like. So you can see not so much the corona of the star, but any objects, any debris, any kind of material that will be forming a new solar system. That's the that's the um, the technique of coronography. But none of these images have been uh, so far. They have been. Uh, produced by that technique. Amaya, you were involved in selecting these pictures that have, the first pictures that have been released. We're just going to have a, uh, have a look at them now. The first one is this one called Webb's First Deep Field. Could just help us understand what we're seeing here and, the, and those red arcs and how long ago was it? Here we are probably one of these faint blobs. Uh, all, all the blobs here are galaxies. Uh, the only stars that uh, we can see in this image are those that show this diffraction pattern that looks like a, a snowflake. Those are nearby stars, but all the other fuzzy dots here are galaxies. We have actually taken a spectra of a dozen of these galaxies, and the oldest one that we've seen emitted its light uh, when the universe was about one billion years old. So when the universe was very, very young. Uh, but uh, probably one of these fuzzy galaxies is uh, the farthest away that we've seen. Uh, we just need to wait to uh, analyze the spectra. And what analyze the spectra means is that we break the light that uh, comes from these objects into their wavelength, into its different colors. And uh, in this, we can see uh, the, 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 this, the, the fingerprints of uh, different types of atoms. So we can learn the, about the composition of these very early galaxies and how during the evolution of the universe, uh, these galaxies, these, these uh, newly formed stars contributed to, uh, to the, the, the chemical composition or, or you know, the carbon, the oxygen, the nitrogen that we have in our bodies was not uh, formed at the beginning. It was formed, it, it resulted from the, the, the 
nuclear processes that happen in the stars. So uh, it's a wonderful machine to see how these uh, elements appear in the universe and how these galaxies evolve from the very early ones to the ones we have in our local universe. And Avi, Avi, this, this Southern Ring Nebula I've seen described as a, as a stellar graveyard. What, what is that showing us? Well, uh, when a star dies, uh, some of the mass of the star gets expelled. That's what will happen to the sun. It will eventually use up all the nuclear fuel that it has and uh, will not be able to burn nuclear fuel. A, a star is simply a nuclear reactor held by gravity. So at the end, the star will cool off, but will send out some material to the so-called interstellar medium. And that creates these beautiful uh, sort of silhouettes that we see here, uh, where the interaction of this material with the surrounding medium creates these beautiful rings. And um, that's the, the future of our local neighborhood. Um, I would like to emphasize also that uh, in the image that uh, Amaya was describing before, we tend to keep our eyes on starlight, those islands that are bright. But there is a lot of darkness in between them. And uh, the reason I emphasize that is uh, actually, what we see is just the tail of the dog. Uh, gravity is dominated by dark matter, which makes up these dark regions between the galaxies. And we still don't know what most of the matter in the universe is. So in a way, the message is that um, uh, we should uh, explore the unknown. Um, our knowledge is an island in an ocean of ignorance. And just all, very quickly on dark matter, this I'm reading is like a sort of a, a, a theoretically influential sort of cosmic scaffolding. So do you think Webb might be able to uncover the mystery of dark matter for us or help us uncover it? Avi? Well, um, Webb is just looking at light, OK? And um, so that informs us about properties of the dark matter. Um, we can find the dark, the, the nature of the dark matter either by detecting it uh, through laboratory experiments, like the Large Hadron Collider was trying to smash particles and generate some dark matter. Unfortunately, we didn't. Uh, uh, another approach is to see some signatures of dark matter in the light that they will reveal its identity. I don't think the web has a necessarily better chance than ground-based telescope to do that, okay. but it will definitely inform us uh, much more about the early universe. And the very first galaxies that formed tell us something about the dark matter, yes. Okay. And Francisco, we're, we're going to look at uh, WASP-96 now while we, we talk to you. This is capturing the signature of water around the planet. Is Webb going to help us look for worlds like Earth that could support life? Because this is what a lot of people are really, uh, non-scientists, really fascinated by. Well, yes. I mean, the uh, the Webb Space Telescope with the spectrographs can be uh, can detect the fingerprints, as uh, as we have said before, the fingerprints of chemical elements in the atmosphere of these planets. So, uh, water, presence of water in the atmosphere of a planet is a... Uh, 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 one, a very good uh, <clears throat> um, condition that we need in order to have life on a planet. The, the holy grail of uh, astrobiology will be to detect not only water, as we see in this picture, but free molecular oxygen in the atmosphere, because that will be the signature of bio, uh, bio produce, uh, bio, bio uh, processes, especially photosynthesis. So, so far, um, uh, molecular oxygen hasn't been detected, okay. but 
the space, they hope they, um, the James Webb may be able to, to do that, and that will be a major, major thing. There are several okay. missions, one of them actually for my institution, UCL, that okay. are going to uh, uh, exactly examine the atmosphere of so extrasolar planets oh. that we have so many, and oh. these are hard work in the future. Okay, Amaya, uh, the, la the last two will quickly go through with you. Steve, uh, Stefan's Quintet, this one that's almost a thousand separate image, separate image files. This is, I've seen described as galaxies locked in a cosmic dance. Go through that one with me quickly. Right, so this is a mesmerizing dance of destruction and creation at the same time because this arc that you see between the galaxies uh, is really pockets of a star formation that has been triggered by this two galaxies interacting. Uh, this is a wonderful laboratory to study how galaxies interact with each other um, because this is relatively, this, this uh, complex of galaxies is relatively nearby, but in the early universe, interactive galaxies were very, very common and this is actually how galaxies grew. So uh, studying this type of uh, interactions can help us learn how galaxies uh, uh, change from the very early universe and how they compare to the ones that we see today. And lastly, the cosmic cliffs in the in the Carina Nebula. This one looked like like craggy mountains. What a, this is the most uh, seems to be the most arresting image. What have we got there? Well, this I have to say that I had the honor to present this image uh, at the event that we had at the Science Space Telescope, and uh, this is just uh, amazing. This what we see here that looks like a starry night. Uh, this is really the edge of a nebula where uh, countless of stars and planets are being born. Uh, the highest, the, the high mass stars that are the hottest and, and that have very strong radiation and stellar winds have already formed at the top of that of the image. And they are uh, basically eroding little by little the nebula. And we have we can see actually a mist, like a mist that is lifting. This is really hot gas and hot dust that is being evaporated from the nebula. But all this destruction is happening at the same time that uh, countless of stars and planets are born. And you can see this in these pillars uh, that we see in the nebula that are areas that are more dense and are resisting the erosion. And because they are more dense and they are affected by the radiation, this also triggers instabilities wow. that makes the densest regions collapse. And then we can see outflows coming from stars that are in the process of creation. So this image is not only absolutely beautiful, but it's also full of new mm. beginnings. Okay, well, Avi, over the next six months, we're gonna be seeing the results of studies from NASA's early release science programs. This is only the start. What, what else are we to expect? Well, first of all, we can get a much deeper image of the universe. The, fir the first one was just half a day. In, in terms of looking at uh, deep into the, the sky. And um, I'm sure that it already contains uh, new information because uh, the, the telescope is, has 7.3 times the area of the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, the fundamental thing we need to keep in mind is nature is much more imaginative than we are. And therefore we have to look. And just by looking, we will discover new things. There is no doubt in my mind that the most exciting discoveries are yet to come that we cannot even imagine at this point. Even the, the deep field of the Hubble Space Telescope was not conceived when the telescope was constructed. Nobody thought that it would be that way. Uh, and so uh, let's just stay tuned and be humble. Uh, a sense of cosmic modesty is in place uh, because the universe surprises us very often. So let's just look and enjoy the show. Uh, Francesco, two of the studies are devoted to exoplanets, including the, the TRAPPIST-1 system. Why is this 
generating so much interest. That system of extrasolar planets is extremely important because uh, it has planets which are very similar to the Earth, and they are also what is uh, uh, called the Goldilocks zone, which is a zone around the star when you can have liquid water on the surface of a planet where the temperature is such that the uh, is not too close or not too far away, so the water can remain in, in liquid state on the surface of the planet. So um, this is why the, that system is so important. What's next? How long can we hope that the telescope will keep sending us pictures for? The telescope was designed to last a minimum of five years, but an expected life of 10 years. But uh, thanks to Ariane, uh, the launch was so uh, efficient that a lot of fuel was, uh, was conserved. And the expectation is that this telescope will last for two decades. So as Avi said, there is plenty of room for the unexpected, that it is really these unexpected discoveries that many times trigger those giant leaps in knowledge. Avi, it did seem to be a, a flawless launch. What are the risks to the telescope, though, while it's, while it's in orbit, the, the cosmic dust, dust hitting the mirrors, that sort of thing? What have we got to be careful for? It's uh, those micrometeorites. One of them uh, hit uh, one of the segments uh, of, uh, in May, and uh, we just uh, keep our fingers crossed that uh, not uh, too many will hit uh, the telescope during the lifetime, because it, it, obviously that will be the biggest risk for degrading the optical capabilities of the telescope. These tiny mi micrometeorites that create a small crater on the surface. Uh, this uh, mirror, the, the primary mirror, is made of uh, beryllium coated with gold. And, uh, you know, we want to keep it as clean as possible without much damage. Um, so uh, I should mention one more thing. We focused on the most distant sources of light in the universe. I should say that also the nearest ones are quite exciting, and that's a subject that Amaya and I uh, hold very dear to our heart. There is a chance of interstellar objects that enter the solar system, and the Webb telescope is a million miles away from Earth. So if we look at a nearby object with Webb and with ground-based telescope, we would see it from different directions, allowing us to pin down the three-dimensional trajectory of the object to an extreme precision, never before did we have a telescope so far away from Earth that allows us to triangulate uh, the location of interesting objects like those that come from outside the solar system. Francisco, are you su surprised there is, is still much left to be discovered? Is there much left to be discovered? I think um, when we are talking about science in general, there is always new to be discovered. We don't know what is going to come, but we know it's going to be fantastic. These machines, I mean, the Large Hadron Collider, the, the James Webb, they are really expanding our knowledge of the universe in the microscopic way and also in the macroscopic way. The discoveries are, are going to be amazing. We can more or less predict. We know more or less how the universe works. For example, this thing about dark matter, which is a major, a major. This is why uh, we call dark matter and dark energy. If you see the first image that was published by the by the um, by NASA, well, you see a lot of uh, concentric structures along around this cluster of galaxies, which is relatively close by, and in the far distance, there are many more galaxies that are distorted by the gravity of this for the wind, the loss of Einstein, the, uh, the distortion of light that is making these uh, uh, distortions because of the mass of the galaxies, but because of the mass of the, of the dark matter, which is around, around these uh, galaxies as well. So 
who knows? I mean, we are going to discover amazing things. The new generations of astronomers are going to have a very challenging but very rewarding time. Very quickly, Amaya, about those new generations of astronomers, how, how much feedback have you had from the young people who are going to be making these discoveries in the future? How important is this? I think this is very important because as what we have learned from Webb, from, from uh, Hubble, from the Hubble Space Telescope, is that the images that Hubble has produced are now part of our subconscious. It's how we imagine the universe. So I think Webb, with its extraordinary capability, uh, also is going to, to uh, uh, be you know, part of our subconscious again. It's, it's going to even uh, uh, increase this, this imagery, right? Adding more colors, adding more information, going deeper in the universe. So I think astronomy is such a great hook for, okay. for the youngest generations to be uh, uh, attracted to STEM disciplines, to the science, mathematics, engineers. So uh, okay. I think that's one of the most valuable uh, uh, things that a web can contribute to. Well, I'm afraid our, our 30 minutes seems to have gone by faster than the speed of light, but thanks to our stellar guests, Francisco Diego, Amaya Moro-Martin and Avi Loeb. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Alaishi, Osama Aloni, Abdurrahman Wasami and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Yasser Armani. The programme was edited by Alexander Kohler, Lynn Noyan and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday.